Euronet Plus Panorama is a weekly review of European news broadcast by our network of EU radio stations. Hello there and welcome back to Euronet Plus Panorama. I'm Joe, and this week my colleagues and I are focusing on the EU's fresh package of sanctions against Russia. Brussels throws the first punch in round six of the much-hyped EU versus Russia fight, but neither side looks ready to throw in the towel, and some nations struggle to know how to approach the upcoming 9th of May commemorations. On Wednesday the 4th of May, Ursula von der Leyen unveiled the EU's sixth package of sanctions against Moscow, which includes a complete ban on Russian oil imports by the end of the year. So today we will propose to ban all Russian oil from Europe. This will be... This will be a complete import ban on all Russian oil seaborne and pipeline crude and refined. We will make sure that we phase out Russian oil in an orderly fashion, so in a way that allows us and our partners to secure alternative supply routes and at the same time be very careful that we minimize the impact on the global market. Brussels has agreed to give Hungary and Slovakia, landlocked countries heavily dependent on Russian oil, a derogation until the end of 2023. The Commission also proposed excluding three major Russian banks from the SWIFT system, banning the provision of accounting, consulting and communication services to Russian companies, and blocking three major Russian state broadcasters' access to EU airwaves. The ambitious package has been welcomed by many, including by João Torres, Portugal's Socialist Secretary of State for Trade, Services and Consumer Protection, whose reaction is shared by our Portuguese member station, Renascença. It seems to me that this is a new response that goes in the right direction, which is to signal very clearly to Russia that, on the one hand, Europe is absolutely in solidarity with Ukraine, and on the other hand, that there is a growing attempt to isolate Russia, because, in fact, these economic sanctions have had results that Russia perhaps downplays in the public space, but that have an impact on the Russian government. Voices in other quarters warn of massive economic fallout and soaring inflation, something that Bank of Slovenia governor Bostjan Vazle tells RTV Slovenia is simply inevitable in the current context. The ongoing conflict in Ukraine continues, of course, to lead to rising energy prices and rising food prices. These prices are partly transferred to other consumer prices, so that the price increases and inflation will not slow down in the coming months. Yet Slovenia actually has one of the lowest inflation rates in the EU. And what is interesting is that some of the member states facing tougher times are among the loudest advocates of sanctions. The fact that it will not be easy should not stop us, said German Renew Europe member Nicola Baer, vice president of the European Parliament. There is no such thing as free credibility. Despite the transition periods, there will probably be price shocks for consumers and for industry, and there will be supply bottlenecks from Portugal to Poland. Yes, there will be cuts, but let's take them in our stride. Let's be willing to pay this price, because the EU is able to mitigate the inevitable consequences for consumers and for industry. With Moscow currently 
currently earning more from the sale of crude oil and refined oil products than it does from gas exports, EPP member Michael Gala would prefer to impose the oil embargo with immediate effect. The sooner we turn off the money tap to the inhumane fascist regime in Moscow, the greater our chances of ending the war more quickly. And despite Russian oil accounting for more than half of Polish oil imports in 2021, Poland's Deputy Minister of State Assets, Maciej Mawetski, told Polsky Radio on Wednesday that his country can certainly find other sources of oil. PKN Orlen has signed a huge contract with the world's largest oil producer, Saudi Aramco. It amounts to 400,000 barrels a day, so about 20 million tonnes of oil a year. Polish refineries process 27 million tonnes of oil a year. We can buy the rest on the spot market in so-called fast contracts. Warsaw is calling for European solidarity in moving away from Russian fuel imports and pledges to support other countries in this process. The aim is to have this sixth package of EU sanctions, which must be unanimously approved by all member states, adopted before the weekend. But several countries are pushing for longer transitions for the oil embargo. In a conversation with Cuckoo Radio, MEP and former Estonian Foreign Minister Urmas Part points out the extent to which the EU is currently funding Moscow's war effort adding that he will believe this embargo when he sees it. For example, the EU or any other country is very proud to have provided 500 million in military aid to Ukraine. At the same time, Russia receives almost a billion from the West for gas and oil exports every day. These are the proportions. In fact, this important income for Russia has continued throughout this war. Paradoxically, as it may seem, oil exports from Russia, for example, increased in April compared with previous months rather than decreased. In a great many countries and in many large companies that are Russian import partners for oil and gas, I do not see any will to change things, since change and finding new suppliers is a time-consuming, complicated and expensive process. They have no interest in doing it. In Spain, meanwhile, S-Radio reports on fuel supply tensions that have nothing to do with Russia. Algeria has threatened to break its gas supply contract with Spain if Madrid uses the Maghreb Europe gas pipeline to deliver Algerian gas to Morocco. Last summer, Algeria stopped using this pipeline, which cuts through Morocco, as tensions peaked between Algiers and Rabat. When Spain first touted the possibility of acting as a gas conduit to Morocco back in February... Algiers warned Madrid that it would not allow a single molecule of its own gas to be sent to its neighbour. Spain will have to tread carefully here in the circumstances. While the EU marks Europe Day on 9th of May, Russia uses the same date to celebrate its victory over Nazi Germany. This date has previously prompted clashes in the Baltic states, as it is seen by many as a symbol of Soviet occupation. In the current political context, tempers are fraying. No one knows what is going to happen in Estonia over the days to come, but the police are stealing themselves. Kuku Radio reports that a ban on public meetings that may incite hatred and the use of symbols of aggression has been imposed across the country. Lithuania is also bracing itself for trouble, says Ginyu Radias. 
The country's prime minister, Ingrida Shimonita, has urged people not to feed the Kremlin's propaganda machine, but stresses that the security forces will be ready for any eventuality. We will do our utmost to prevent problems. The police are getting ready. I really want people with common sense, people who are rational, not to look for some pretext or try to create opportunities to boost the Kremlin's propaganda. Because we can see that this propaganda is working and looking for something to latch on to, so to speak. And it's just not necessary. This is very, very important for the unity of the country. I think the institutions will be well prepared. Latvia's parliament, for its part, recently amended its citizenship law. Dual nationals, who are seen to be supporting war crimes, can now be deprived of their Latvian citizenship. But what constitutes support is proving controversial in the Baltic nation, as the broad definition includes a reference to propaganda. Lithuanian-born Romalds Rajuks, a former Latvian MP and professor of medicine at the University of Latvia, tells our colleagues at Zhinyu that it is not entirely clear what would constitute a violation of the new law, though it is clearly intended as a psychological tool. The security services will investigate the crime. Then the Citizenship and Immigration Service will revoke citizenship, which can be appealed in Parliament. There are many outbursts in Latvia at the moment, maybe not in numerical terms, but they are very vocal. They come mostly from Russian speakers and are directed against Ukrainians. I think this law is a psychological warning. The relationship with Russia is also controversial in Bulgaria, whose parliament this week approved the provision of humanitarian, financial and military assistance to Ukraine. The topic of military support for Ukraine is one of the hottest in Bulgarian politics and one that has threatened to destroy the four-party ruling coalition. The challenge for the fledgling coalition comes in the shape of the Bulgarian Socialist Party, whose leader, Kornelia Ninova, is also the deputy prime minister. Keen to maintain its traditionally pro-Russian electorate, the BSP is loath to agree to military support for Ukraine, as Vasil Garnizov, a political scientist, former politician and founder of the new Bulgarian university, tells national broadcaster BNR. That's the problem with Ninova. On the one hand, she wants to be part of a European and Western platform as far as the situation in Ukraine is concerned, and on the other hand, she does not want to quarrel with her reddest, Russophile-minded voters. This will remain her position until the end of her term. So far, the coalition has withstood the pressure. Yet clashes have taken place in the streets of Sofia between those in favour of providing Ukraine with military support and opponents of the idea. Commenting on the cracks opening up in Bulgarian society, Garnizov expressed surprise at President Rumen Radev's decision to attach himself to the neutrality camp. Let me take a look at the latest Gallup and Alpha research polls. Support for Bulgaria's European path and Bulgaria's European membership, 85%. 
support for Putin, 15% in some studies, up to a maximum of 24 or 25. So, right now, Radev is making a serious political mistake. He is aligning with a minority position. No Bulgarian president has ever done that. Parvanov, a previous left-leaning president, was never forced to choose between Europe and Russia. This was, so to speak, a historic chance for Radev. But when given a choice between Europe and Russia, Rumen Radev chose Russia. This is sad. That's all, folks. Join us next week for another look at current affairs from a Euronet Plus perspective.